Hey, New City, so glad that you are uh, joining us. If you're a guest today, I want to welcome you. My name is Nate, good to be the lead pastor here at New City. And I want to say a couple things to you before we jump into our study today. One of those is uh, that New City, if you don't already know this, is an imperfect people being courageous, believing in the power of Jesus to make all things new. Uh, I want to just highlight a couple of things in that statement. One is that we are an imperfect people, and so you are certainly welcome. Uh, we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we certainly take God seriously. And we want to be courageous in our faith, believing in Jesus' power to make all things new. And last week, I mentioned to you that we were going to step out in faith and be courageous and start putting some things in the calendar. And uh, I know it's hard to plan right now because uh, it just feels like in the whirlwind that is the COVID-19 experience, it's hard to know what tomorrow is going to look like. But the staff team, we got together this last week and we started putting some things in the calendar. We've got a pretty robust calendar coming up. And I just want to highlight a few things to you uh, that you want to pay attention to. One is August 1st, that's just coming up you know, uh, in a few days now, uh, we'll have an Engage event. And this, uh, there, there are in-person opportunities for you, but also there are opportunities for you that are at-home opportunities. But we want everybody to have an opportunity to engage in our city and make a difference. And so we'd love for you to participate in that if you can. Uh, on August 2nd, if you're new to New City, there is a starting point on August 2nd that we would love for you to be a part of. And so Starting point is a way for you to familiarize yourself with New City, what our mission is all about, what our passions are all about. They kind of they get to know some of our staff and also get to know some people who are new at New City. This August 2nd starting point will be a virtual starting point, so it'll be on Zoom, but we'd love uh, to have you participate in that. On August 9th, we're going to have a back-to-school drive through event. During this event, we're going to serve our teachers, and we want you to know, teachers, that we uh, recognize you're in a very tough position right now, and we care for you, so we will serve teachers. We also serve students. Uh, we've got uh, details for that event on our website, and hopefully you got the e-letter this week on Thursday that lets you know all the things that are happening at New City with the back-to-school drive included in that e-letter. Uh, there is a baptism class on August 17th. I will be mentioning the idea of being born again today, and if you want to put on display that born again reality. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've yet to be baptized, gone under the water and said, Jesus died on the cross for my sins and been buried in the water and risen again and acknowledge the new life that you have in Christ. We'd love for you to be baptized and we have a baptism class. We want to learn more about that. You'll see here on the slide that there's a baptism Saturday event on August 29th that will be obviously in person and we'll have those who are ready to be baptized here on a Saturday for a baptism uh, service. But I want to make special note of an in-person prayer experience on August 22nd. Uh, we're going to need two things from you. One is uh, that you, you can register for that event in the coming weeks. We'll let you know how to do that. Uh, it'll be a, 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 a multiple-hour event while people spaced out for social distancing. But it'll be here at our New City facility. I'm really excited about that. Uh, the thing I need from you is to pay attention uh, when the details come out about that to register so we get everybody signed up for that prayer experience. We're going to be praying for teachers. We're going to be praying for our local government and national government. We're going to be praying for each other. It's going to be a pretty awesome prayer experience, interactive in COVID-safe way. Now, we're going to need uh, some help building out that prayer experience. There's going to be some construction involved and some uh, chalkboards and things like that that we need help with. And so we'd love for you uh, to volunteer and participate in that way uh, in that event. So we're, we've got just a, this is just a handful of events coming up. We've got a lot more planned uh, for you at New City. Lots of ways to get engaged, to get plugged in. Uh, another way to engage with us at New City today is to join us for a live Q&A on Instagram. 
Uh, that's going to follow the service. Uh, when I say follow the service, I mean after uh, the last song, excuse me, <laughs> the last song is completed, uh, you can uh, log on to Instagram. It's at New City ABQ, and I'll have a Q&A about this message this week. It was awesome last week. I really had a lot of fun, uh, both at 9.15 and the 11 o'clock service. And so those are the two service times where the Instagram Live is held. Uh, we will publish some of the content for the Instagram Live throughout the week, so you can always log in to New City ABQ's uh, Instagram and find uh, some of that Q&A response. There's some really fun stuff that happened last week. Uh, I, I want to just start the study today with this quote from Seth Godin I've used before. Uh, but it, it's, a, it's a quote from Seth Godin that I experience on a regular basis. Uh, Seth Godin said, anxiety is feeling failure in advance. I don't know if you are one of those people who struggles with anxiety. I am. Uh, I feel it in my hands sometimes. Like I feel anxiety. Uh, my hands get shaky. And I feel it in a shortness of breath. I've noticed that in my life, there's a theme around the anxiety that I feel. And it's whenever I feel like I don't have control. And if I feel like I'm out of control, I start to feel a little, a little anxious. And my, my, my legs get restless, my hands uh, get busy, uh, my, my breath is it's just hard uh, to breathe. And I had kind of an anxiety attack on Wednesday. Uh, this last week, I was preparing this message and I was doing some reading and I just had this fear about everything going on in the world and all the things I'm not in control of, and it just struck me. Now, I've used this axiom before with you, but it is one that I use with myself, and it's, it, it, it's a quote. I don't know where I got the quote from. It's been accredited to lots of different speakers, so if you want to just credit me with it, that's fine by me. But here's the quote. Most of our unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we are listening to ourselves rather than preaching to ourselves. Um, I, I, what I find is like when I get in this moment of anxiety uh, that what's happening is I'm listening to an internal narrative that's not necessarily true. Uh, certainly it's, the, 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 it's not true about who God is and who I am in light of who God is. And, and my mind, my thoughts just kind of run wild. And every once in a while I have to do, as the Bible says, take thoughts captive and make them obedient to Jesus. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but uh, you are not infallible, which means that every thought that you have cannot be trusted. And I need to hear that sometimes because I will have thoughts running through my mind that I will then believe as true and I will believe them as true and not ever put them under the scrutiny of evaluation. And everything that you think isn't true and every feeling that you have based upon what you are thinking isn't right. And we have to take thoughts captive and make them obedient to Jesus. See, our thinking must always be, listen to this, okay? Our thinking must always be available to be bent or even broken by the truth. Like you have to have, if you're gonna be a Christian that grows in Christ, you're gonna have to have a posture that says, my thinking can always be evaluated. But my thinking can always, always be bent or even broken by a truth that's greater than me. And so today in the sermon, I'm going to give you four eternal truths that settle the soul. 
I think some of the reason I was having anxiety was because I knew I was going to give you these four truths that said the soul. And as I was preparing the message, my soul was unsettled. And so I needed them. And I'll tell you which one in particular I needed. Uh, but before I get to the four eternal truths that sell the soul, we're going to need some un- unpacking. We need to do some thinking, really, about our thinking. And that's what I want to do with you for a little bit today, is do some thinking about our thinking. There is a distinct uh, way of thinking Christianly. Uh, there is a distinctly Christian way of thinking about things. And so in 1 Peter 1, the scripture we read today, in verse 22, uh, we see that our souls are purified by our obedience to truth. And so we have to think rightly, think truthfully about things. And as we're obedient to those truth things, we experience some sanctification of the soul. In 1 Peter 1.13, Peter says, I want you to, to, to prepare your minds. Uh, literally, gird up the loins of your minds. In other words, get ready for action. Intellectually, think soberly about who you are and what's going on in your life. Put your hope fully on the grace of God. This is an intellectual activity, a sober-minded activity, a preparing of the minds he's asking us to have. A prepared mind is what he's asking us to have. So thinking Christianly is essential then to living out our distinction in the world. Uh, what we've been encouraged in 1 Peter has been to see ourselves as sojourners and exiles. And as sojourners and exiles, we are living distinctly different lives from the rest of the world. And so he says, don't engage in the passions uh, of the, your former self, the passions of the flesh. Don't engage in those passions, but have transformed minds, minds that are obedient to the truth, minds that are sober, that are thinking rightly about the world. You see it here in verse 22 again, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. A purified soul, a soul put to rights by truth that is both accepted and obeyed. Uh, You see in verse 14 of chapter 1, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And so we're to be, uh, to be obedient to truth, not giving in to just purely passionate living. Certainly uninformed passionate living is what he's opposed to here. In verse 15 we see, but as he who called you is holy, uh, be holy in all your conduct. Be distinct in your conduct. Let your life be distinctly Christian. As God is distinct, you should also be distinct. As God is set apart, you should also be set apart. The word holy means to be set apart from or cut away from, distinct. And so our lives should look distinctly like God. Uh, To put it another way, there is an inseparable interplay between the truth we believe and the passions we feel and the conduct of our lives. And we need to have passions that are informed by the truth and passions that are informed by the truth produce in us the right kind of conduct, the right kind of life, the holy conduct that the scripture here is calling us to. I want to ask you a question, okay? And this, I really want you to think about somebody. And I, my assumption here is somebody's going to come right to your mind. Have you ever met someone who is passionate yet uninformed? Right? You spend five seconds on Twitter, right? Have you ever met someone who's passionate yet uninformed? 
I want you to think about this, okay? A passionate person who's uninformed. So somebody who's, who's not submissive to the truth, obedient to the truth, but just passionate, and then their passion is leading their conduct. Much damage, too much damage, has been caused in our world by uninformed passions. People who acted out of the passion of ignorance, but did not have that passion being surrendered then to the truth. You see, one of the most dangerous people in society is a very passionate person who is proudly uninformed. One of the most dangerous people to society, listen to this, is a person who's very passionate, but yet at the same time proudly uninformed. The person who's passionate and proudly uninformed puts on display the things that we've read in verse one last week and again this week. He says, put away all malice, that's evil intention. People who are passionate yet uninformed by the truth, un, un, <laughs> uninstructed by the truth, they, they're full of deceit, they don't tell the whole truth, they aren't concerned with the truth. Hypocrisy, well hypocrisy there, uh, the two-faced life is, is there because they're unconcerned about truth, envy, and jealousy about what others have, or slander, speaking ill of other people. See, Christian discipleship, and this is, I think, the key idea I want to hone in on today. Christian discipleship is moving from unbelief to belief in every area of life. Christian discipleship is bending to the truth. Christian discipleship is a daily activity of embracing obedience to the truth of the gospel. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, the word of God that feeds the soul, long for it like a child longs for milk, like an infant longs for milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So you may grow, you see. Truth is essential for Christian growth. So discipleship is about regularly in your life having a soul so humbled that it says, shape me, truth, shape me. I want to be shaped by the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to be shaped by the truth of the word of God. So Christian truth is a number of things, and I want you to take note of these things. I'm going to rapidly go through them, but Christian truth is life-giving. You see this in 1 Peter 1, 23. Since you have been born again by, not by an imperishable seed, but by a, not by a perishable seed, but by an imperishable seed. You've been born again by the word of truth that was spoken to you. The, the truth of the gospel comes with power by the Holy Spirit to change a life, to transform a life, to give you the experience that is known in Christianity as being born again. And many people have had this experience when they've heard the good news of Jesus preached. He lived the life that you couldn't live you know, if you could be perfect, Jesus wouldn't have had to come from heaven to live a perfect life for you. You can't be perfect. You are a slave to sin. If you don't believe me, just try to stop sinning. You can't because you're a slave to sin and Jesus knows it. And he lived a life of freedom and grace for you. And he died on the cross for your sins. He paid the penalty of your sins. He rose from the grave. He conquered, he conquered the penalty of sin, death, and he gave you life and if the Holy Spirit has entered your soul, you've had the experience of, of feeling born again, like the old is gone and the new has come. And the word of God preached has the power to give you new life. 
And so let's read more about this word of God. Verse 23, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The word of God is living. I, I don't know how to express this but really clearly, but I just want you to dive into it with me for a second. When you become a Christian, you become a recipient of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a word giver to you. He helps you to understand the word of God. Makes the word of God living and active inside of you. It's a mystery to me how God does this with words, but he spoke and things came into existence. He speaks and souls come to life. And the Holy Spirit of God, he makes God's word living inside of you. In fact, more than living inside of you, abiding inside of you. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And so the Christian truth is living, is life-giving, living and abiding word. The Holy Spirit of God, when God breathed the breath, when when he breathed the spirit and the spirit brought life to the world, and he breathed in you and brought new life into you, and the Holy Spirit lives in you, brings, he abides in you, he lets the word of God abide in you and to shape you. The word, that, the word of God that's life-giving, the word of God that's living, the word of God that's abiding, the word of God that is everlasting. It's not a perishable seed, it's an imperishable seed, or the words of verse 25, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this is, this word is the good news that was preached to you. It remains forever. It's everlasting. So Christian truth is, is life-giving. It's living. It's abiding. It's everlasting. And the key idea for our study today is it's nourishing. It's, it's, it's necessary for sustaining your life in Christ. Like newborn infants. Long for the word of God that by it you may grow into salvation. Long for it that you may grow, be nourished and grow in it. To put it another way, you need the truth of the gospel as much today as the first day you believed. Like you do. Sometimes I think people think the gospel is only good, it's it's only good for salvation. But the gospel truth has the power to save you, it does, and it also has the power to sustain you. And we need it for our, for our, for our sustenance. We need it for our nourishment. I want you to think about it this way. We are not absolute beings, okay? We are not absolute beings, but we were made to reflect the absolute being. This is important to, to note. So Genesis 1.26, you see it here, that we were made to, be, to bear the image of God. We were made as image bearers. So we are not the source of ultimate meaning, but we do reflect God, who is the source of ultimate meaning. Uh, we are not absolute, but we do reflect the absolute. That's God. This is important because we need an absolute truth because there's nothing about us that is absolute. Like we, we, need, we need to know where the absolute truth comes from, where, where the real guiding principles you know, find their origin. In 1 Peter 1.23, we, we were born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Not, 
we were born again by an absolute word. Now, why is this important? This is important to note because I am only existent in so much that is God is, is existing. Like, I am because God is. If God wasn't, I wouldn't be <laughs> because I'm an image bearer of God. He's preexistent. He's absolute. I am because God is. When Moses was being sent to Pharaoh to, to, you know, to, to go demand, let my people go, when Moses was giving those marching orders, Moses says to God, and what do I say to them if they ask me, what is his name? What's God's name? What shall I say? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. I'm the existent one. I'm the absolute. You see, if God is not, then I am not. I, follow, help, I hope that you can follow my train of thought here. I cannot become all that I am or was meant to be until I embrace all that God is. Like, I cannot become all that I am or was meant to be until I embrace all that God is because I'm an image bearer of God. And if I want to really know who I am, if I want to grow up, Right, into salvation. If I want to mature as a Christian, I can't do it separate from knowing God, like really knowing him, being, be, being an expert of what it means to obey him or to image bear him, to show him to the world. So if you want to discover who you're meant to be, discover who God really is. That's, that's the solution. If you want to know who you were meant to be, discover who God is. That leads us to the four eternal truths that settle the soul. Now, I didn't come up with these four eternal truths, but I think these four eternal truths about God and who he is will settle your soul. I got them from a book years ago called You Can Change by Tim Chesser. I, I know that, that like we're in this moment right now with COVID that everything's been tossed up in the air. I, have, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like you know, I'm ready for a change and I'm doing things in my life. I'm changing all kinds of things. I'm renovating the garage. I've, you know, built stuff in the backyard. I'm just keeping busy all the time. And, and uh, this kind of moment, some, these kind of, you know, big cultural shift moments become opportunities for change. And maybe, maybe that's so for you. And if you are looking for a book to help you to change right now, I'd recommend Tim Chester's book, You Can Change. In the book, he says this, sinful acts always have their origin in some form of unbelief. In other words, behind every sin is a lie. And so he reminds us in Romans one twenty five that behind every sin is this idea of exchanging truths about God for lies. And that we should be looking for what's the lie that we're believing and how can we replace it with the truth. Christian discipleship, therefore, is moving from unbelief or believing a lie to believing uh, a truth about God is, is moving from unbelief to belief in all the areas of life. That's Christian discipleship. And, and I'm going to introduce to you in a second uh, what has come to be known as the four G's. Others have noticed that Tim Chester's book is a powerful book. And some of my friends at Soma Communities have really worked these, these four eternal truths and have you know, shorthand named them the four G's. But before we get to the four G's, I want to reintroduce you, if you've been around New City for a while, to the three R's. How about that? Four G's and three R's. The three R's exercise is an exercise I've used a number of times 
at New City, and I use it all the time in my own personal life. Like when I'm experiencing an unwanted feeling or I've got sin in my life, I walk through, recognize, rebuke, and replace. Recognize the lie, rebuke the lie, replace the lie. It's an important exercise. I have to go, why, why is this happening? Why am I feeling this? And so I was doing this actually the other day when I was feeling anxiety on Wednesday. So what is a lie that I'm believing? Well, the lie that I was believing was that I needed to be in control. Really, when you start pressing in on that, I was believing that God wasn't in control. And I had to recognize that and rebuke it and go, you know what, I'm believing right now that God's not in control, that my life is uncertain, that everything is, is chaos, but I have to also recognize, man, my God is on his throne and nothing that's happening right now is outside of his sovereign control. And I just had to confess it. I had to re- replace that lie after rebuking it with a truth. But, you know, I found over the years in teaching this, recognize, rebuke, replace, that recognizing the lie is an easier uh, step for a lot of people. And rebuking it certainly is easy because it's something that we want to rebuke. But replacing it has been a challenge. And people have said to me, like, what truths can I replace uh, the lies with? What are some truths? And so I, I think that's where the four G's can really help us here. Because the four G's are four eternal truths that you can replace those lies with at, at, you know, when you're struggling with them in your life. Here they are. The four G's are God is great, God is glorious, God is good, and God is gracious. And I want to take each one of those, just one at a time, and just unpack it for you and how you can use it in your everyday life. The first is God is great. Now, I just want to remind you here that what we're doing is we're, we're taking that, that 1 Peter 2 passage and, and taking it seriously. The 1 Peter 2 passage says, long for the word of God, that it might help you to grow into your salvation. That's what we want to do. We want to grow into our salvation. So we want to repeat back truths about God that we know are true, believe those truths, and help us to grow in our salvation. So God is great. Look at Psalm 145. I'm just going to use Psalm 145 as a, as a touch, uh, a, a, a chapter of the Psalms that we can just touch on uh, briefly on, on each one of these uh, of four Gs. But great is the Lord, greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. God is great. You might just hit pause for a second. If you have uh, some Bible knowledge, you don't have to have Bible knowledge to apply these truths, but if you have some Bible knowledge, you might start thinking about, is there some themes in the Bible, some stories in the Bible, uh, some verses in the Bible that elevate the greatness of God? Like, you know, uh, like he created the stars, he knows their number, and he knows them all by name. Or the universe it, as vast as it is, he holds it in the palm of his hand. Or that, that the, the, the hearts of kings like water in his hand. Or not a bird falls from the sky without him knowing it. He's just great. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He's, just, he's great and he's powerful and he's in control. Listen, because God is great, we can rest in his sovereign control and not feel like we need to be in control. And I have to tell you, friend, like when I was feeling anxiety on Wednesday, I just had to confess God is great. And I don't need to be in control because he is in absolute control. You see, if Jesus is the true and sovereign king, we don't need to manipulate people or our circumstances to gain control. 
Usually, I don't know if it's true of you, uh, I hope, hope it's true of somebody else and not just me, but sometimes when I feel like I'm not in control, I'll try to gain control, and you know, sometimes I'm tempted to use manipulation to gain control. I'm tempted to, to try to take control and do things that maybe are not true of me in other circumstances, but when I feel anxious and worried, I step out of bounds. And I just have to know that God is in control and Jesus is the king and he's in control. I want to encourage you here that just because you don't see God's control doesn't mean he, he is not in control. And there are lots of Bible passages that help us with this. You can think about Joseph, whose brothers mistreated him terribly. And when he meets with them after having been mistreated terribly, he says to them, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He used even your evil for good. That's how in control he is. Or to speak about it in the words of Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, that God has this ability to work things out for good. Let me further encourage you. There are things that are out of your control, and you, sometimes you just need to confess what they are. You know, COVID-19 is out of your control. Whatever, you know, uh, just fully being honest. Uh, the, the next, you know, I was Wednesday, I was like, oh, I heard there was going to be an announcement from the governor. I was like, oh, no, what else, is, what, what, what else bad could happen? And I just had to confess, I don't need to be in control. I don't need to be in control. Because there's nothing that's out of God's control. And I said, you're great, God. You're great. You're great. Let me say it this way. When you feel the need to be in control of what you can't control, your life will be dominated by anxiety. When you feel the need to be in control of what you can't control, the only emotion that you will be able to experience in that context is anxiety. Because you will be just trying to gain control of things that are not under your control because you're not sovereign, you're not absolute, but you do know who is. And if you could just confess that he is great and trust in his sovereignty, then, then you would find that peace would settle into your spirit. And so if those who feel the need to be in control need to confess because God is great, I can rest in his sovereign control and not feel like I need to be in control. He's great. Do you see how the truth that God is great can serve you? God is great. God is glorious. God is glorious. Let's, let's look at Psalm 145.5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. I will meditate on your glory. Let's, let's just dive into this. Because God is glorious, which means weighty and important, meaningful, because God is glorious. <laughs> we can be most attentive to his glory, which will make us less concerned about our own glory. Look, if you are the most mindful of the glory of God, more mindful of the glory of God than anything else, if we are most mindful of the glory of God, we will not fear the disapproval of others because we are already have the approval of our Heavenly Father. See, when you feel the need for the approval of others, 
Like that's the dominant emotion, your glory and how other people perceive your glory. When you, when you, when you feel that need, that pressing in need for the approval of others, your life will be dominated by fear. Fear of failure, fear of not measuring up, fear of fear, fear being found out. Let me just do a thought experiment with you. And uh, this is a dangerous question in so many ways, but I just want to ask it, okay? Have you ever met someone so smart, beautiful, or caring that it took your breath away? I mean, there are people who have been gifted with beauty that when you see them, you go, wow, <laughs> you're, you're unusually attractive. Or there are people that sometimes you meet in life, they're just so brilliant, so smart, that you're like, Man, I'm not going to say anything in this room because you're just so brilliant. And there are people who are just so loving and caring and generous. You, you can, you, you'll know who this person is in your life because you, you hate them, but you really want their affection. <laughs> you're like, you're so good. There's got to be something terrible about you. You're secretly an ex-murderer. I know it. You know, there, but there are these people in your life that, are just, that they have these, these some qualities that, that that are just that are accelerated, you know? And what happens when you meet someone really beautiful is that you kind of want them to think something, you know, is attractive about you. And when you meet someone really smart, it's, it's natural to want them to see that you are somewhat intelligent. Uh, if, if you meet somebody who's just really caring and loving, you want, you want their approval. And they'll let them, you want them to, to, to let you know that you're a good person, <laughs> that you're not a bad person. Those are natural human experiences that we can all relate to. Now, I want you to put this in the right context. No one is more glorious than God. No one. More beautiful, more intelligent, more loving or caring. And he sees you, and he knows you, and he loves you. Like when you look at the glory of God, it just takes your breath away. And what's so amazing is he pays attention to you. He pays so much attention to you. He knows every detail there is about your life, even the number, numbers of hairs on your head. Look, those who fear the disapproval of others need to confess because God is glorious. I can be most attentive to his glory, which will make me less concerned about my glory. Just celebrate him. Be in awe of him. It's amazing how worship begins to strip away your own self-centeredness. God is great. God is glorious. And God is good. Psalm 145, verse 7. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Because God is good, we don't have to look anywhere else for our joy, contentment, security, and ultimately our satisfaction. We can find our, our greatest comfort, our greatest joy, our greatest satisfaction, our greatest security in God who is good. He's the Father of heavenly lights. Who, you know, the Bible says in James that every good and perfect gift comes from him. You see, if we trust in the overflowing goodness of God, we will not be desperately seeking food, sex, games, drugs, or anything else for our comfort and our security. You see, when you feel the need to chase after comfort and security, 
whether through accumulating things or by not ever pushing hard in life, you will be dominated by feelings of insecurity or sometimes laziness and boredom. And if your dominant emotions in life are laziness and boredom, it's because you have a comfort idolatry. And if your predominant feeling is insecurity, then you haven't found your ultimate comfort in God. <laughs> You're not resting in his goodness. He, God is good and, and, and a perfect father. He's a good and perfect father. We can trust him with our ultimate comfort and security. And those who chase after comfort and security, they need to confess this. Because God is good, I don't have to look anywhere else for my joy, contentment, security, and ultimately my satisfaction. I find it in him. He's good. God is great. God is glorious. God is good. God is gracious. Psalm 145.8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Because God is gracious, listen, we do, we do not have to prove ourselves anymore because he's gracious. Flaney O'Connor wrote a book, uh, a novel called Wise Blood. In the novel she writes, the best way to avoid Jesus is to avoid sin. In other words, like if you can pay attention to your sin, what will eventually happen is you'll, a need will arise to deal with that sin, and Jesus is the one who can do that. He can deal with that sin in your life. He, does through, he deals with your sin through redemption and through adoption. And if you trust in the gracious gift of God's redemption, meaning his purchase of all your debt, paying off all the debt of your sin, if you trust in the gracious gift of God's redemption as paying off all of the debts of your sin, you know all your debts have been paid. It's amazing uh, when, you know, when you think about the, the, the busyness of your life, how much of our life's busyness is related to trying to prove our worth because we've done something bad in the past. Just trying to work off some debt. If you, if you trust in the gracious gift of God's adoption, you know that you are wealthier than you could ever imagine, that you are a recipient of the inheritance of, of Christ, that you have been adopted into the family of God. See, when you feel the need to prove yourself worthy, you're going to be dominated by feelings of exhaustion all the time, trying to pay off debt, trying to earn things that prove yourself and prove your worth. And those who feel burdened to prove their worth need to confess because God is gracious. I don't have to prove myself anymore. I have nothing to prove. My debt's been paid and God's given me a wonderful inheritance. I just want to say this again to you. Most of our unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we are listening to ourselves rather than preaching to ourselves. In other words, we're, we're, most of the happiness in our, in our life is this feeling that we need to be great, we need to be glorious, that we need to be good, that we need to be gracious. And you will never, never be able to be all the things that you feel you need to be. You'll never be truly you until you embrace who God truly is. And the confessions, these four eternal truths that settle the soul, they're confessions that God is great. God is great, so we don't have to be in control. Look, God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere for our satisfaction. We can find it in him. God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves anymore. We can rest in his gracious gift. So I want to further encourage you in 1 Peter 2. Like newborn infants... Long for the pure spiritual milk. 
word of God that gives life, the truth of God that gives life, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Confess the truth about God that you need to confess. It seems to me every time I've taught these four eternal truths that I will hit pause in a classroom setting and I'll say, class, which of those truths do you need to hear today? Which, which of those four truths sticks out to you, class? Is it God is great? Is it God is glorious? Is it God is good? Is it God is gracious? And maybe you just need to walk through that pattern of recognizing the lies I believe, rebuking the lies, and then grabbing hold of one of those four eternal truths about God, and then praying it into your heart until it explodes with meaning. Just pray it into existence in your heart. I think you, what you'll find is that these four eternal truths have a way of settling the soul. I know this week I needed to confess that God is great. And when I did, my anxiety began to fade away and a peace from God began to take its place. And I just need to confess, God, you're in control. We end our services at a time of generosity, prayer, and communion. I'd love for you to participate with New City in generosity. We have been so blessed with such a generous church, and I'm so grateful for your generosity. You can do so online. You can do so on the app. There are lots of ways to be generous to New City, and I'd love for you to participate with us in generosity. Uh, we uh, often have time of prayer at New City. I'm really excited for the prayer event coming up soon. I hope if you are too, uh, later in August. Uh, we encouraged you last week, okay, we have a Zoom prayer room, and you can go there for prayer during the worship songs. Uh, that's the time to go. And so when the worship begins, the Zoom prayer room is open. You do not have to activate your video chat feature to be prayed for. And so we'd love for you to log in. And that Zoom prayer room is available at 9, 15, 11, and at the uh, 6.30 service. So it's available at all three services uh, I want to encourage you to join us if you're tuning in at 9.15 or 11 uh, for the Q&A on Instagram following uh, the last worship song. That's when the Q&A will begin. As to stay true to form, we've been praying a prayer together as a church just to close our time together so we can all make a confession, a prayer together, and I'd love to be able to pray with you. Let's pray together. Father, we want to experience the freedom that your truth provides. Thank you for rescuing us from our sins and giving us a new life in your family. Help us to know you as our great, glorious, good, and gracious God. Amen. God bless.